So have you ever accidentally come up with a good idea? You know, that random thing in the kitchen that nobody wanted to eat, and then all of a sudden it turned out to be not so bad? You know, accidentally you came up with something good. Papua New Guinea is north of Australia. There are some folks in Papua New Guinea that are known as the Asaro Mudmen. Well, they're called the Mudmen because they're known for making some mud masks. Now, these masks aren't exactly like friendly-looking masks. Uh, they're a little scary-looking. In fact, they decorate these masks with things like pig's teeth. So it's a little bit different. But among the Asaru people, there has always been this history of these masks. It's been going on for a long time, but they don't have any written history, so it's just handed down by word of mouth. Clint Berry is a former university administrator in Papua New Guinea, and she says that all of these fancy, scary masks actually got started because of a wedding. It seems that there was a, a wedding going on, and when everybody came to the wedding, they were supposed to wear their traditional wedding costumes. Well, one guy didn't have a costume, and so he took an old woven bag, and he cut holes into the bag, and then he covered the bag with mud. He put the, the bag over his head, and then he put some mud on his arms, on his legs, and his body, and then he went on to the wedding. Now, if you're planning on coming to Beverly's wedding next week, don't, don't try that, just, just for the good of all of us. But so he gets to the wedding, and the people are terrified. <laughs> they think this guy's a ghost, and they, they run away. And that's one way to, to get more food at the reception, I realize. But, but, you know, the truth of the matter is this guy got a lot more than just extra meatballs. You see, there was a tribal war going on in the neighborhood. And so he went to his brother and some of his buddies, and he got them to dress up like he was dressed up. And then they went over to the enemy to attack them. This is what Clint Berry says. The enemy thought ghosts were coming, and they ran away without firing a single arrow. That's a pretty good accidental good idea. He won an entire battle just from a mistaken mask and costume. Now, those scary masks might have helped the Asaro Mudmen back in the day. But there is a kind of mask that will not cause the enemy to run away. In fact, it's the kind of mask that if you get behind that mask, it actually will spell out ultimate defeat for you. The enemy will win. Your enemy will win. Now, you can't get this mask online. You can't make it out of mud. You can't get it at the Halloween store. But it's still very easy to come by. So what kind of mask is this? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. This is a wild scene. There's a, a huge crowd of people, but all these crowds of people had just come from hearing about something else. You see, back in chapter 11, at the very end, Jesus had just been to a dinner party at a, a prideful churchgoer's house. This, this prideful churchgoer was part of a, a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And the dinner party got off on the wrong foot because Jesus didn't wash up for supper. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus had bad hygiene. What it means is that Jesus didn't go through with one of the rituals that the Pharisee went through 
at his home when he got home. The, the ritual went a little bit like this. The, the thought process was, well, since I've been out today, since I went to the mall, since I went to the home improvement store, since I went to the restaurant, since I was at the coffee shop downtown where all those homeless people hang out, since I've been out around these people who are in a lower class than me spiritually, who are in a lower class than me probably financially, I need to come home and I need to get right with God. I need to go over to my special little water basin. I need to take a little bit of water and, and start pouring it on my wrist and just letting it trickle down my hands and my fingers and, and do that on both sides so that so I can show my guest that I'm cleaning myself from having been out among those people today. And I can make sure that all my good deeds stay clean. See, this wasn't a, a real washing. It was a religious ritual. Something that you did to feel good about yourself and something that you did so that other people would look at you and think that you were a really good person. So Jesus didn't do that. He, he walked by the special water basin. And he turns to his host at the dinner and, and lets him know that, that his ritual was phony. He even goes so far as to give him some woes, some, some statements of impending judgment if his host thought that God was ever going to be pleased with his prideful ritual. This is what Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, Jesus didn't come to perform phony rituals that kept him away from people or that showed that he was sad that he was around those people. No, Jesus came to seek and to save the rich and the poor, the gated community and the homeless, the sinful and the rebellious. Jesus actually came to find people like me and find people like you and to rescue us and to give us hope and to give us salvation. So that's what's happening when we read under these circumstances. Jesus has just been pretty clear about something very hard. Now, the reason this is a big deal is because people didn't talk to the Pharisees like that. Now, granted, Jesus was not you know, screaming and shouting at him. You know, he wasn't being rude and sarcastic. Jesus was being clear. He was being simple, but he was being stern. He was letting that Pharisee and anybody else who was sitting at the dinner table that night know with no doubt that God was opposed to his prideful religious attitude and his prideful religious activity. And so that's the scene, Jesus confronting this prideful attitude, this prideful religion. And people didn't talk to Pharisees like that. So guess what? Social media blew up as soon as Jesus left the dinner table. It was all over the place. People found out, and so the, the crowds started getting bigger. In fact, Luke says that there were thousands of people. That's a lot of people. One commentator says it could have even been up to, to 10,000 people based on the words that he uses here. And I imagine with that many people and that big of a crowd, there were probably a little bit of everybody. I guarantee you that, that in the same way, if you got a crowd of people like that today, there were probably some people that, that felt about Jesus the way many people feel about our two main presidential candidates. I'm sure there were some people in that crowd that were big fans of Jesus. Boy, they, they couldn't wait to be in this crowd and be around him. 
And I'm sure there were some big haters of Jesus in that crowd as well. They wanted to see him. They wanted to know who this rebel was. And there was probably some people that were just there because they heard there was a big event. They just wanted to come check out and, and see what was going on. So there might have been some that wanted to maybe just reach out and, and touch his robe. There might have been some who literally wanted to choke his neck. And there might have been some that were just there for an autograph, you know, something they could sell on eBay later. But no matter what their reasonings for being there, the same thing was happening. Things were getting out of control. The, the crowd was getting restless. There was a, a trampling, a, a little bit of a stampede, so to speak. They were, they were stepping on one another. And so things were getting a little bit dangerous. And in this moment of danger, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus, you know, back off and, and run away, find another place to go? Does Jesus start screaming and yelling at everybody to, to sit down and calm down and quit acting that way? Does he miraculously pass out fish and chips for everybody in this big, huge crowd? Does he grab a microphone and, and light up the crowd with a fantastic sermon? No, he doesn't do any of those things. Look what he does. Next part of verse 1. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, this might seem a little bit strange at first. I mean, Jesus has a crowd. These people are there to see him. But he seems to ignore the crowd. He ignores the thousands. And he only looks at his closest followers. Now, that might seem strange, but the reality is it shouldn't be that strange because Jesus didn't have a microphone that he could grab. Jesus didn't have a, a jumbotron behind him that was going to cast his image and his words out to the nosebleed section. In fact, probably the only people that would hear him would be the people that were closest to him. Now, as we walk through chapter 12, we'll see that there were times that Jesus was, was saying much to the crowd at large. But, but here, he only talks to his disciples, and he has a strategic reason for doing that. Why? Look at the word there. Beware. Look out. Watch out. Stay away from what? Stay away from the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, what's leaven? Well, we might use the word yeast. It's something that you add to dough to, to make it rise. There's a whole lot going on in this process, and I, I love how writer Julie Douglas describes it. This is fun. It's teeming with organic chemical activity, a veritable fireworks display of fermentation and leavening. The yeast cells break down large starch molecules into sugars for energy. The sugars, digested by the yeast, burp out carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol into existing air bubbles in the dough, and this is what causes the dough to rise. In the meantime, while you're working with the dough, these bubbles of carbon dioxide and alcohol burst, allowing for two proteins of the flour glutenin and gliadin to glom onto water particles. That's a lot of G words right there. And I love this. As they tango, they become an elastic-like mass of molecules known as gluten. And the more gluten, the stronger your bread becomes. And the more it can act as a dome to keep in the symphony of organic chemicals that cause the dough to exponentially rise. All of which results in the delightful crater-like terrain of the finished product. <laughs> That's a description right there, right? The tango going on in the bread dough, right? But I love her description because it, it lets us know very clearly that the fireworks show was not just in a corner of the dough. That all of the dough caught the light. All of the dough caught the booms of the yeast. 
Jesus is not describing leaven as a fun description like a tango or a dance. He's not trying to, to use the word leaven as a way to, to help the disciples think about the fresh aroma of bread. He's actually using it to help the disciples see that this leaven has the stench of death. He's giving them a, a warning. He uses the word beware. He wants them to know that the brand of leaven that is being used by the Pharisees is a brand that they need to stay away from. So what kind of brand of leaven, what kind of brand of yeast were they using? Well, it was the brand known as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Well, there are a lot of people inside the church and outside of the church that when they think of hypocrisy, they think more of things that they don't approve of. You know, something that somebody does that they say, oh, they shouldn't have done that. Oh, I can't believe that they ate at that restaurant downtown. Oh, I, I can't believe they saw that movie. Oh, I can't believe they're voting for that candidate. Oh, I, I can't believe that they're not volunteering to bring a casserole. Oh, I can't believe that they're not volunteering to be on that committee. Oh, I can't believe that the pastor didn't visit that person. Oh, I can't believe she's wearing those shoes to the banquet. Oh, I can't believe he's wearing that mask to the wedding. Not, not just be for a sorrow, people. If you wear a mask to a wedding, you know, take pictures, we'd love to see it. But the reality is we think so many times that hypocrisy is, oh, I can't believe that person did that. And so oftentimes we think of hypocrisy as really just our opinion about things. That's not what hypocrisy is. This is how Jesus described the Pharisees over in Matthew. Matthew 23, verse 3. They tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. Verses 4 and 5. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. You see, a hypocrite is, is not somebody who just doesn't do something that you don't approve of. A hypocrite is, is not someone who, who doesn't match up with your opinion. A hypocrite is someone who's trying to be somebody they're not. They're either doing it out of, out of deception, they, they know that they're being a hypocrite, or they might do it because they are believing their own lies. But either way, they are being a counterfeit. They're not being the real thing. They aren't the real thing. The word for hypocrite here that Luke uses is a word that means the acting of a stage player. It described the, the theater back in ancient culture. Rich Cather says this, Instead of an actor being good at expressing their feelings or emotions, they simply held masks up over their faces when they read their lines to show whether they were happy or whether they were sad. <laughs> it doesn't take much talent, right? Just hold up the frown face or the smiley face. This was acting, so to speak. Christian hypocrisy, then, is hiding behind a mask. It's, it's hiding behind you know, religious catchphrases, or it's, it's hiding behind even good church activity, but thinking and feeling and talking consistently in a way that's opposite of that activity and opposite of those catchphrases. Here's some modern pictures of, of what could classify uh, as hypocrisy today. Let me warn you, I'm probably about to offend all of us, so I'll start with me. I'll start with some pastors. 
Hypocrisy is kind of like consistently preaching sermons about loving your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself, or preaching sermons about children honoring their parents, or preaching sermons about helping the poor and the needy, but then only going to visit your mom or your dad in the nursing home at Christmas and on their birthday, even though the nursing home is less than an hour away. Could be a picture of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is kind of like consistently ignoring all the advice that you're given by multiple medical professionals at m multiple hospitals and, and multiple research facilities that leads to you having multiple health issues. And then you go on multiple afternoon talk shows to say that you're a victim and nobody will help you with your problems. Could be a form of hypocrisy. And this is where I get fired, okay? Hypocrisy could be when you say it's God's church and God's house and God's money and God's people, but then when you're in business meetings and committee meetings, when you're in the parking lot after church or when you're in the restaurant after church on Sunday, how you think and how you feel and what you say and how you act says more. This is my church and it's my money and my opinions are definitely what God wants for the church to have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I left it in. <laughs> Hypocrisy. It's not getting any better, just so you'll know. Hypocrisy might be consistently every morning posting a fantastic Bible verse on social media and then spending the rest of the day posting inappropriate, crass things about how every waitress and every nurse and every government employee and every restaurant and every hospital and every car dealer and every mechanic and every politician is being awful to you. That could be hypocrisy. Hypocrisy could be when you say consistently, those team's fans are so rude. They're so arrogant. I can't stand going to that game. They are awful. But then being really surprised when the people that you've been tailgating next to for the last five years in the club-level parking lot next to the stadium, when they're shocked to find out that you're a member of the church that they visited last Sunday, that, that could be kind of a modern-day hypocrisy. Now, now, notice the word I use in every single one of those was consistently. Okay? We're not talking about randomness here. We're talking about consistency. Hypocrisy is not just when somebody does something that you don't approve of. Hypocrisy is, is not just that somebody doesn't match up with your opinion of things. But hypocrisy neither is someone who's struggling with sin. And occasionally, not consistently, but occasionally, someone sees that sin in their lives. Whether it's in the church or Friday night somewhere else. A hypocrite is someone who's consistently a counterfeit. And, and that's a different definition. I love this picture right here from Kevin DeYoung. The hypocrite is not the Christian who struggles against sin, fights against temptation, and keeps doing what is right, even on his worst feeling days. That's a hero. I love that definition. I want to encourage you, go be a hero this week. Love being the hero that says, this is hard, and God, I don't like it, and God, I want this to change, and why are you doing this, God? But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved 
a wretch like me. Fight like that. Be that hero this week. That's not a hypocrite. The hypocrite, Dion goes on to say, is the Christian who uses the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of private vice. He's the man living a double life, the woman fooling her friends because she has church clothes, the student who proudly answers the questions in Sunday school and just as proudly romps through immorality the rest of the week. And then he goes on. The sin of hypocrisy is not that we are more messed up than we seem. That's true all for all of us. In case you didn't know, we are all more messed up than we seem. This is the sin of hypocrisy. The sin is in using the appearance of goodness to cloak the deeds of evil. The sin is in thinking that who others think you are matters a great deal more than whom God knows you to be. Jesus warns his disciples to stay away from the leaven of the Pharisees because he didn't want it slipping into their minds and their hearts. He knew it was dangerous. He knew it was deadly. But we might say, hey, what's the big deal? I mean, so what? Some religious guys were being religious phonies. Ignore them. Go live your life. Do your own thing. Seems that way. But here's the deal. Jesus is never casual or mistaken with his warnings. So imagine that you're just an average Joe or an average Josephine living during the time of the Pharisees. People in the community, they they respect the Pharisees. The Pharisees do good things in the community. They, They have good deeds. Most people in the community know who they are. Even people who don't believe in their religion, they respect them as as nice people in the community. People who do well. You even respect them. But for all the respect they cast in the community, they also cast a shadow over the community. Because see, if you're average Joe or you're average Josephine, what you're thinking is this. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the smarts to be able to do these things that the Pharisees are doing. I just, I can't do it. And so what you are is you're stuck with two choices. One of those choices is you try. You try to do what the Pharisees do. You, you try to keep up with them. You try to catch up with their deeds. But you, you can't catch up no matter how hard you try. You keep thinking, if you just give it a, a little more effort, old Rabbi Bubba, he's going to come up to you and pat you on the back and say, hey, buddy, you start taking up the offering on the fourth Sunday, right? You come on, man, you're doing good. But here's the thing, it never happens. And why? Well, because if he begins to affirm your effort, then you might get a little closer and you might find out, oh, he's a counterfeit. And then his gig is going to be up. So there, there is no affirmation. It doesn't come, but the worst part is you keep believing the lie. You, you keep thinking, you know what? If I can just work a little bit harder, I can accomplish all my religious dreams. But that's a lie. And so what you find yourself is spinning and spinning and spinning and more discouraged and more discouraged and more discouraged. Or the flip side of that scenario could happen. You could be the person that says, Psst, Man, there's no way I can do that. (laughs) I can't can't live up to what the Pharisees are doing. There's no way I could ever pull that off. So you know what? Life is short, so I'm just going to hang out. Party on Wayne, party on Garth. Man, I'm just going to have a good time. Forget it. Forget it. Or you may be somewhere in between. You might go to church more than just Christmas and Easter. You know, maybe, maybe a lot of times. 
but you still pretty much do whatever you want. You're, you're still partying on with life because you're thinking, well, I'm pretty sure my name's down there in the church office written somewhere, so I, I think I'm good. And I think that's exactly why Jesus says the very next words. It's why he shoots off this next firework. Listen to verse 2. Jesus says, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Well, that'll bless your heart, right? <laughs> Man, that, that's encouraging. But don't miss the kindness of what Jesus is saying here. In kindness, Jesus is trying to help his disciples see, you know what? You might be able to fool some of the people some of the time. In fact, you might be able to fool all of the people all of the time. But you will never for a millisecond ever be able to fool God. That's why the leaven of the Pharisees is so dangerous. It's why it's so deadly. Because either way you go, that leaven separates you from God. You see, it's the, the kind of leaven that can drag you to hell through the world, or it's the kind of leaven that can drag you to hell through the church. It can drag you to hell by pulling you away or pushing you away or, or pulling you in. So it can, it can drag you to hell by pushing you away from the church, saying, I don't like those people, I don't have time for that, I'm just going to go live my life, and I'm going to do my own good deeds. It can push you away. That's what the leaven does, or it'll pull you in. It'll pull you into the church, and you'll puff up with all the same self-righteous righteousness that we see in the Pharisees, thinking, I'm good, I'm great, and my opinion matters the most. See, that's what the leaven of the Pharisees does. It takes your eyes off Jesus. So is there any hope? <laughs> I mean, come on, Dal. A little good news would be nice. So is there any hope? Yeah, there's major hope. Phenomenal hope. Hope that is real, hope that is deep, hope that is satisfying beyond your imagination. But this hope is not cheap, and it's not cheesy, and it's not fluffy. It's hope that must be seen through the glory and the majesty of God. I love how Daniel prayed. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. This next part could have some application to our life today. It is He who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings. He establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. God knows everything. God sees everything. What should that do to us? I think it should do a couple of things. It should stir us to tremble with appropriate fear. That God sees all and knows all. That, that should stir us with some appropriate fear. But for many of us, it should also cause us to shiver with joy-filled chill bumps. What does that mean? A.W. Pink wrote, God is omniscient. He knows everything, everything possible, everything actual, all events, all creatures of the past, the present, and the future. He is perfectly 
acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven and earth and in hell. And then he says this, nothing escapes God's notice, nothing can be hidden from him, nothing is forgotten by him. He never errs, never changes, never overlooks anything. Though he may be invisible to us, we are not so to him. That's the fear part. (laughs) That's the appropriate fear part. We may not be able to see him, but he can definitely see us. So we're the chill bumps. We're we're the joyful cheer bumps. We're getting there. Jeff Thomas picks up right after A.W. Pink. God never discovers anything he didn't know before. He is never surprised and never amazed. He never seeks information. The enemy of our souls himself, Satan, could tell God nothing that he didn't already know. And here's the hope. Here's the promise of God for every person who's believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus. Here's the hope. We are known and we are loved. He has fixed his great heart upon me and loved me and pardoned me for everything and saved me. This is is the God of the universe looking at your life as you anguish over who to vote for. This is the God of the universe looking at your heart as you anguish waiting for that doctor's appointment this week. This is the God of the universe looking at your heart as you try to figure out what you're doing wrong towards your spouse. This is the God of the universe looking at your heart as you are about to pull your hair out trying to figure out what to do with your kids. This is the God of the universe looking at your heart, knowing all of the stress and all of the strain that your boss and your supervisor and your job bring on your life. And that God is saying, I have loved you. I know you. And then this promise that if you're in Jesus Christ, you've been pardoned, you've been rescued, you've been forgiven. Jeff Thomas goes on to say, we can come clean to him because the highest court in the universe has declared us pardoned, healed, restored, and forgiven. That's good stuff. that's, That's the encouraging part. I was eventually going to get to. You see, that pardon, that healing, that restoration, that forgiveness, the leaven of the Pharisees, can't promise that. Only the gospel, only the good news about Jesus Christ can rescue and heal and pardon and restore and forgive and give joy to your soul. Listen, everything we see in the Bible is, is pretty clear. God knows your past and God knows your present And he has a deep desire to give you a hope and a future. Maybe you've already found that future today. Maybe you've already found that hope. Maybe you are in Christ. You've received salvation. If so, then be careful. Beware. Because the leaven of the Pharisees is still out there. And every single one of us can just as easily get puffed up with that. But if you don't have that hope, if if you don't have that future, I want you to know you do not have to continue to be blind. You don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to be discouraged and down and depressed. Life will not be perfect, but there is hope to be found. You can 
repent. You can find peace. You can find love. You can find hope. And it's all in, in one place. And it's all in one man. It's all in one Savior. It's all in one, in one Messiah. Really, it's all in one name. And that name is Jesus. So for all the things in your world today, if you're not a believer, come to Jesus. And for all the things happening in your life today, if you are a believer, then come to Jesus.